Welcome to China Tech Talk, the weekly discussion of technology and startups here in China. I'm John Artman, editor in chief of TechNote, and as always, I'm joined by Matthew Brennan, founder of China Channel. So this week we are、um, looking at Weibo. We've、uh, invited Manya Kotze from、uh, What's on Weibo to talk a little bit about、uh, what she's been doing and some of her observations, but then also kind of examining the role of Weibo in Chinese online culture.、Um, I think that you know, so far on China Tech Talk, most of, a lot of our episodes have been about、um, about the business or about the Technology that 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 we're seeing in China,、um, and so it was really nice for for this episode to really look at、um, this technology from its intersection with with Chinese culture. And Weibo is is unique in that sense because you know it is、uh, it is the public、um, social、uh, social network in China, and so there's there's this、um, it has a fairly large influence on public discussion and、uh, and public discourse. Yeah, Amanda's website is really excellent resource. I'd recommend all of our listeners to check that out.、Um, she. She writes a lot of the content herself, which is really impressive.、Um, she's a sinologist who really knows her stuff.、Um, she's she's been doing this for years,、uh, literally、uh, following very closely、um, social media in China. So I think she's really got her finger on the pulse. Uh, about social media, social media trends, all of the sort of memes, all of the sort of、uh, things that go viral suddenly,、um, and 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 what it says, and analyzing what it says and what it means、uh, about Chinese society. So she's very much to this into this angle of understanding Chinese society through social media.、Uh, I can't think of anyone who actually really、um, you know publishes more and and writes more about this online than her.、Um, so a fantastic guest for the podcast. Really happy. To have her on, yeah, and it's funny because you know I think that that that、um, when I first started really watching China back in like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Um, I think the China Watcher sphere, when it comes to、um, culture and internet culture, was a bit more robust. You know, you had websites like China Hush and China Smack,、um, both of which are are now defunct.、Um, and so it's really great to see that 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 Manya has kept what's on Weibo、yeah. going.、Um, because at this point, you know, and we talk a little bit about it in the episode. You know, Weibo, I think for someone who doesn't use it very often, like me,、uh, it's actually very bewildering、um, because there's so much going on,、um, and it's very difficult to figure out who to. Follow and 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 things like that,、um, and and of course there's there's WeChat which has become central to to、uh, almost everyone's life.、Um, so I think that it's really cool because on the one hand you know you can't forget about Weibo、um, just because WeChat is more it may be more popular you can't forget about Weibo. Number two you know what she's doing、um, is really kind of bringing to light for for a Western audience in particular kind of kind of these things these topics these areas that I think would not be accessible otherwise. Whatever happened to China Smack? I totally forgot about that site. That used to. Be awesome! Yeah, that was a great website. Wow, I, I totally forgot about that website. And that was way back. That was, was、uh, way back. Yeah. Yeah. And so and so you know I think that for this episode for me it was it was a bit nostalgic you know because、um, you know I I kind of you know in a, in a sense came of age、uh, with with Weibo and a lot of the, a lot of those、uh, the, the a lot of the online phenomenon so it was really kind of cool to talk with、uh, Manya about about that to look back but then also of course to to look into、uh, the current、um, situation and and also Weibo looking into 2018. If anyone knows what happened to China Smack, please message me. <laughs> On Twitter, <laughs> or John, I'd really want to know what happened to that site now.、Um, Definitely. But anyway, let's get on with the、uh, with the interview. It's a good one. So, Manya, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. 
Thanks for having me. So one of the first questions that we like to ask our guests is,、um, "What's your China story?、Uh, what、uh, what got you here? What got you interested in China? And then、uh, how did you start doing what you're doing now?" Well, I think I've always, since I was、um, a little kid, I was always interested in Asia, and I was always always interested in the things that I could not understand. And for me, it started with Japan and learning Japanese and hiragana. A lot of it I touched,、uh, taught myself, and、uh, I actually went to Japan during my high school to live with a Japanese family and study Japanese. So my whole Asia adventure started in Japan. But then later, when I was studying Japanese at the university, all of my friends were studying Chinese. And that's what first got me interested, and I decided to take some classes. And then I first went to、um, China in 2007 when I was studying. I'd been there when I was、uh, 16 already, but this time it really, really struck me how China was developing and. Uh, yeah, actually, the whole combination of ancient culture with these rapid developments. I was walking the streets in Shanghai, and it really, really struck me. And actually, that's when China stole my heart. And I,、uh, I still finished my studies in Japanese, but in the end, it was China that really stole my heart. And I now, since the last few years, I'm a, I've become a sinologist. So I finished my studies. Uh, I started my PhD as well, and running the website What's on Weibo. So yeah, tell us tell us about the the site.、Um, so What's on Weibo?、Um, how did how did you get started with that? What's on Weibo? Well, Weibo. The I think the domain name I already registered it maybe five years ago, but I was still studying and I didn't have time to do anything with it. Uh, and it wasn't until like three and a half, four years ago that I really started to、uh, to blog about the things that I found interesting. And I think what first started it was I became really interested in Chinese memes and viral stories when I first heard this story of Jia Junpeng. Do you know this story about Jia Junpeng? Your mom is asking you to come home for dinner. Well, go go ahead and tell us. <laughs> so this is a story I first heard actually when I was living in Beijing in two thousand nine. And it was a sentence that once upon a day popped up on a World of Warcraft forum, actually in the summer of 2009. And on this World of Warcraft forum, players would usually just interact about the game and talk about that. But then, just this sentence popped up: "Jia Junpeng, your mom is coming you or is asking you to come home for dinner." And immediately, it received a lot of、uh, reactions. And one of them came from this user named Jia Junpeng, who said. I'm not coming home tonight. Tell mom I'm eating at the internet cafe, and that triggered thousands of reactions within 30 minutes. I believe it was like 20,000 reactions, and there was this real hype that went from online to offline. Because I don't know if you remember in those days, if you were living in Beijing. You saw that all kind of marketers were using this sentence, like China Mobile said, "Jia Junpeng, your mom is asking you to buy a phone card," or "Your mom is asking <laughs> you to learn English," and、um, it really struck a chord in in thousands of people because so much came together in that one sentence. It was the rise, well, the rise. It was the the boom of the internet cafes on every corner of the street. There was a huge the rise of the internet, and actually the rise of social media was、uh, starting to create a gap between. Parents and their children.、Um, so I think that sentence captures really a spirit of the time in in two thousand nine. And I thought, okay, this is the kind of things that I want to write about, and I want to 
understand why something goes viral and what's behind it. So I think that was the first seed in my brain that was planted, uh, planted for What's on Weibo. Yeah, I do remember that. That was a long time ago. That really did go viral. Not that long, not that long. nine years ago. <laughs> yeah. In China time, that's a long I mean, time. Yeah, it seems that's like true. a different, because yeah, it was a time where um, you're right. Internet bar, internet bars were super hot, and I think that time has kind of passed a little bit. Uh, well, a little bit, yeah, yeah. A, a lot, a lot. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. A lot has happened, and that's also what I find so interesting about looking back on the history of social media in China, or uh, if you will, the rise of of internet, um, which a, li- a little bit goes hand in hand because you can see that. With, for example, these first uh, games, because Wangba, the internet cafes were actually, they were based on games, right? Everybody was only playing online games. And they went hand in hand with the message boards. So these message boards were already a first kind of social media in China, even before you had the domestic platforms coming up. Yeah, it's funny because I used to, um, before I had my own computer, I used to spend time at the the Wangba as well, playing playing computer games. Um, it's it, it was a really interesting phenomenon because you know people would actually end up spending the night there um, because it was it, it could be cheaper than you know getting a getting a room at a at a hotel or or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I had a friend in in Beijing at the time who basically lived there because he. He was temporarily uh, out of uh, any living space. And what he did, he, he just went from McDonald's to Wangba, from McDonald's to Wangba. And you could sleep there, you could eat there, you could game there, you could make friends there. And mm-hmm. so, but there was a lot of uh, worries at the time. I mean, it, at the time already, Chinese state media really warned against the rise of internet in China, saying that, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, you had internet addiction coming yeah. up. Uh, there was this big story at the time that was really zoomed in by the Chinese state media about a guy who was playing World of Warcraft for three days. No, it was seven days in a row during Chinese Spring Festival. (laughs) And he died because he was basically not eating, not drinking. I think it was in Hebei or something. Mm -hmm. And then then it was, I think it was China Daily or another newspaper who said like, you see, (laughs) that's what internet does to you. Yeah. Shouldn't laugh. I don't remember that. Yeah. No, we we shouldn't laugh. We shouldn't laugh because well, yeah. But you had a lot of these stories that were really um, that the 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 state, especially Chinese state media, used to zoom in on like the the guy who died, but then also the Beijing fire in two thousand two at an internet cafe that was extremely tragic because I believe thirty people or something or twenty five people died during that fire, Um, and that was used also as a way to like look at that. That's how unsafe these internet cafes and that's what are and this is what the rise of uh, internet is doing in China. Mm. And then look at us, look at us now and how, how far we've come. China is, uh, cannot live without the internet. Um, but so, so one of the, one of the big reasons that, that we wanted to, uh, to get you on was to, you know, uh, obviously talk about, talk about your work and, uh, what you've been, what you've been, um, uh, focusing on, but then also looking at, uh, looking at Weibo in, in general. Um, you know, I think, you know, Matt and I, uh, between ourselves and then with other guests, we've, we've talked about Weibo before, um, but not as you know, a whole episode. Not really um, diving deep into what it is and kind of uh, where it comes from, and then looking at its role um, today. Mm-hmm. So you know, looking at you know, we're talking about stuff that's happening in, in two thousand and nine, and this is this is a kind of around the time that, or the the context in which that Weibo uh, first first arrived and and started to gain a lot of popularity. So um, so let, let's start from the beginning. Like how how did Weibo um, actually get started? Mm-hmm. 
Weibo actually started in, well, 2009 again. I think 2009 has been a, a crucial year if you look at social media in China and the internet in China in general. Because 2009, it was a very vibrant year at the beginning because you had Twitter, you had Facebook, you had Fanfo, Taotao, a lot of different domestic platforms, international platforms. Twitter was really starting to gain a little bit of popularity in the in the cities in China. And one point at which this became very visible was in February of 2009, when you had a fire near the CCTV tower in Beijing. And at that time, uh, actually, it was during Chinese Spring Festival, and it was caused by fireworks. And traditional media were really trying to get this fire under the radar, didn't want to report it, wanted to keep the news very, very low key. But at the time, the news broke out through Twitter and it went so fast. Uh, and so international media were already, well, figuratively speaking, reporting about it before the firemen had even arrived. And this is, I think, something that showed that uh, there was a breakthrough in citizen journalism. And I think also for traditional media, it showed the kind of the danger of um, of social media in China. And later that year, you had the, the Urumuchi riots in Xinjiang. And that was actually the moment that all social media were shut down. So it was the end of Fofo, Funfo and Tao Tao and Twitter, Facebook all got shut down in that the summer of 2009. Also, let's not forget the background of the Jasmine Revolution in the Middle East, which was also dubbed the Twitter Revolution. So it was a very, it was a year when so many things were happening and so many things were sizzling when it comes to social media. So it was the end of, of social media in uh, in China as it was at the time and the beginning of Weibo because, or I should say, Sina Weibo because Weibo itself basically means micro blog and you had different Weibo's, you had like Tencent Weibo as well. But Sina Weibo, the company Sina, was the first who stepped forward and said, you know what, we'll start a social media platform while keeping the information flows under control. So it was kind of a promise that they made to the Chinese government. And in exchange for that promise, they got ent uh, entrepreneurial freedom. So in that regards, Weibo was actually the first, um, how should I say, a commercial space that was government regulated. Yeah, it's easy to forget there was Tencent Weibo as well. I think it's already uh, been discontinued. Uh, but there was a yeah. there was a fight at one stage. There were multiple Weibo's, and I think it 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 also wasn't until 2012 or so that Weibo really came to stand for Sina Weibo. I mean, mm. now we're not even talking about it's in Chinese Xinlang Weibo or Sina Weibo. We're not even talking about that anymore. It's almost easy to forget that it's Sina.com that is behind Weibo. How did they win that war? Do you think it was uh, what made them? be the last man standing amongst all the local competitors? It is the fact that Sina was already a media company. Uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, already established in 1998. And so they had very, very strong connections with the world of media and journalists. And among the very, very first people whom they invited to join the platform were media professionals and journalists. So this is one of the reasons why Weibo, Sina Weibo, became a real media platform, much more than, for example, if we look at Facebook, which really start, started as a university a contact book, uh, online book. Um, Weibo from the start was really a media platform where people came to, to look for news. 
So I think this is one of the reasons why Sina Webo got so big. It's the journalists and uh, the media professionals who made it an interesting platform from the start. And that's kind of similar uh, in a way to Twitter's success as well. Um, a lot of um, a lot of journalists and media workers use Twitter. Um, obviously, it, it's become a little bit less of a of a of a destination for news, but it's still heavily used for for that purpose. Um, and and the thing is, you know, a lot of times even 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 now, but certainly when it first came out, there were these um, these comparisons between Weibo and and Twitter, you know, and and still these days you might hear people call it, you know, the Twitter uh, of China. But but how how true is that? I mean, like how how similar is it actually to Twitter? And and was there any inspiration kind of drawn from Twitter in its creation? Yeah, at in in the beginning in two thousand nine, uh, Weibo was always called a Twitter clone, and I think especially at the beginning it was somewhat true. It was more or less a Chinese equivalent to Twitter, but very soon it started to change as more and more functions uh, were added to Weibo, which then made it actually more like a Facebook and a Twitter in one. But now, if you look at it, it's like an, um, a good. You have Goodreads in there, and you have the Internet Movie Database in there. You know, I mean, the Chinese equivalents of it. You have Messenger in there. You have there's so many different functions in it now that it's very, very unfair to call it a, a Twitter clone anymore. It it is not at all anymore. So, how would you personally describe it today? Oh well, I don't. Th- I sh- I think we should stop. Uh, calling Chinese products, uh, you know, Chinese equivalents of any Western products. If at all, we should start ch- changing it. It's becoming the other way around. Like maybe we, c- you know, there will be this new thing coming up and we'll say like, oh yeah, that's the Western equivalent of Weibo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. Yeah, I think, well, one one thing that Weibo, the rise of, of Weibo over the past eight, almost nine years has taught us is that, um, you know, it, it's time that we stop being so Western-centric when we talk about so social media. Yeah, I would say in, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, certainly, you know, Matt and I, um, part of a big trend, uh, a big theme in this podcast is just how uh, China is in some ways is, is ahead of the world uh, when it comes to um, certain um, technology-based or internet-based um, innovations. Um, so so I think, you know, Weibo, I mean, so, you know, it, it grew out of um, a desire to have uh, kind of a public um, social social media platform. But as you were saying, I mean, like with Twitter, with Fanfo, you know, one of the reasons that they were blocked or shut down was because the, the Chinese government realized that it couldn't control the information uh, any any longer. Um, so, you know, has has Weibo been able, like, how have they been able to survive? Because, you know, by 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 its very nature, you know, social media, it's going to have conversations or, or information that um, make uh, the Communist Party a little uncomfortable. Yeah, this is a question, actually, in, in Holland, I do um, speak quite a lot about social media in China. And you run into so much a bias in a way that people say like, well, if you cannot talk about politics, then certainly you cannot talk about anything mm-hmm. at all. Or that's the end of it. But we shouldn't forget that the things that are spoken about, about on, for example, Twitter, which is a lot about politics and you know, opinions, uh, then it, it's not always the same. Well, not at all the same. I feel that a lot of what's being talked about in uh, on Chinese social media is entertainment for a large part. Uh, it's uh, opportunities. It's traveling. It's food. You know, it's only there's only a very very small part uh, percentage of people who actually do talk about 
somewhat politically sensitive topics and it it gets censored i mean if it's really about certain topics that are unspeakable of they get automatically censored by the uh, word software how do you say the scanning software and otherwise they get censored when it, it, it when it gets too big so when it gets retweeted more than a couple of hundred times or whatever but um, what we shouldn't forget is that there is actually still a lot of room for discussion. And um, it's not as narrow as it's sometimes portrayed to be, especially in, in Western media. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with that. I think there's, again, we're looking, a lot of people are looking at it with uh, concepts from their own environment and their own culture. Um and overly indexing on uh, the politics side of things and censorship when actually it's uh, most of the things that people talk about on, on Weibo and platforms like Weibo in China are like pretty mundane stuff or like just gossip about celebrities and things like that. Uh, yeah, it's true. But also it's sometimes if you dive deeper and that's also what I'm trying to do with what's on Weibo, I don't only, uh, it's not that I only write about what's trending. I sometimes always uh, also try to go beyond uh, what's trending, but, you know, dive deep into the corners of Weibo. And uh, last year I wrote an article, uh, I, I dubbed them Weibo imams, uh, you know, um, the, the imams from, yeah, because there, there's a whole bunch of, of, um, of imams with a, with a big Chinese Muslim following who are preaching through Miao Pai uh, on Weibo and who are telling things, you know, about the Quran and this and that. And at a time when Islam is, has become a, an increasingly sensitive topic in China and social media is so controlled, this is something that you would not expect, that there is this thriving community of Weibo imams, which I find very uh, interesting. So this shows that there is, in a lot of, on a lot of corners uh, in, in Weibo, within Weibo, a lot of interesting things are going on when it comes to politics, religion, uh, religion, feminism, you know, gender issues, homosexuality, a, a lot of interesting things are happening. Like one of the questions, you know, so I think that, you know, looking at, because um, I remember I was working at, at, at China Radio International when um, Weibo first became really popular. Um, and and then some, it was funny. And then because I, I was I was interviewing someone in 2011 when WeChat had just been released and no one that mm -hmm. I knew was using it, you know, like this is like the early days of smartphones. Um, and he was like, yeah, John, you know, the WeChat is the future just just give it a couple years and you know people are going to be for people are, are, are going to have forgotten uh, about Weibo already um, and it feels in a, in a certain sense that 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 did come true um, and certainly for us on technode we don't pay attention much to Weibo anymore um, because it's really not the new new thing right um, mm -hmm. but obviously there's still a lot of there's still a lot of like you know with your work there's obviously a lot of conversation going on um, there's there's still you know a, a fairly vibrant community but at the same time you know it, it's it's lost a lot of that status because like when it first came out I mean you know it was where in for CRI where we end up sourcing a lot of our stories that we would talk about uh, on on the radio. Um, so I mean, so so walk us walk us through that. You know, the kind of like the rise and fall of of Weibo. I mean, how did it how did it become so popular? We talked about it in terms of news and stuff, but then also, you know, what happened when WeChat became popular? I mean, what happened with Weibo? Okay, shall I shall I just because the, I'm I mean, obviously the beginning is 2009, and just to uh, paint a brief picture of of the hmm. evolution of Weibo. From 2009 to 2012, a lot of um, specialists on this topic always call it the golden days of China's social media. Because from 2009 to 2012, so many exciting things were going on on Weibo. It was also a time that was a politically 
pretty tumultuous. And actually, at the time, you had more uh, political topics being discussed on Weibo. You had a lot of memes coming up. You had Ai Weiwei, who were who was doing a lot of stuff, the, the Chinese dissident artist. So a lot of things happened in that time. And then things started uh, changing. So in 2011, you had Weixin, WeChat coming up. It was also the time that the control over the internet started to gain traction because Let's not forget in 2012, there were already 500 million uh, registered users of Weibo. So the moment that the control was heightened was the moment that there was really a significant amount of registered users. That That's when the impact of Weibo started to become bigger. So that so it, it's, it's always since the beginning that Weibo has been launched, it's always been um, this little, well, I don't want to call it a game because it would be unfair to call it a game, but a field of tension between control and letting go, control and letting go. Because if the management team of Weibo doesn't let it go, then there's no discussion. So they have to stimulate discussion while at the same time restricting it as well. And this is the dynamics that make that makes Weibo so interesting the whole time. Without discussion, there's no social media. Social media is based on discussion. So, um, and in, in 2013, you saw that with the announcement of the real name registration, that Weibo was losing its uh, its value a little bit. People were, you know, starting to use WeChat. And in 2015, there was actually the point when the real name registration was really pushed through. And that was also the year that BBC wrote this article about Weibo being dead or Weibo being on its way out. And uh, it's funny because that's it, at that time, I was really uh, active with What's on Weibo. And I felt that it wasn't dead at all because... On the, on the one hand, I was reading in the Western media, Wave was dead. But on the other hand, I was seeing such interesting topics coming up every single day and the discussions were pretty vibrant. So it was not dead, but it had changed. And I think a lot of the things that were being discussed on Weibo in those years from 2009 to roughly 2013 were now being discussed on WeChat. And Weibo was becoming more of this open platform of um, more public discussions. So uh, so that's what I, I always see that Weibo has shifted since 2009. Its functions have changed, but it is still very, very vibrant. And um, and it's interesting to anyone, any China watcher or anyone interested in China, I think, uh, will see something interesting in, in Weibo because of all the mixtures of accounts and the public debates going on there. Well, I, I remember um, when when WeChat was getting a lot more traction, um, I was talking, this is, again, I was still at, 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 at CRI, and a lot of my Chinese colleagues were saying that one of the reasons, um, the reason that they gave, at least, their understanding of why so many Chinese people were going, uh, were so, quote unquote, abandoned Weibo in favor of WeChat um, was because Weibo was just it was too saturated. Like there was just like too much too much noise. Um, people couldn't really um, find what they wanted to find or, or, or you know get the information they wanted to get. Um, their needs were you know in a sense their needs weren't being met because it was just too busy. Um, whereas whereas with WeChat you know it was you know one on one or, or or small groups and things like that. So I mean would you would you would you agree with that that one of the reasons is because people kind of wanted a bit more of a, of a private space to um, to have discussions or or to to talk amongst each other. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of the um, uh, some of some of the controversies that come up and become trending topics on Weibo, or especially the essays or the smaller stories that uh, eventually become big trending topics, they all start on WeChat. But the problem for China social media watchers, of course, is that you cannot be in all of those private groups of friends. 
So uh, that's why I'm happy that Watson Weibo has a, a very nice group of contributors who, or, or you know, people who help me, who are from 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 Shenzhen to Shanghai to Beijing, and who have a lot of different friend groups. And the moment that I receive in the morning, I will check my phone and I see like my group of friends is talking about this, 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 and then I receive it three times, and then then I know, okay, boom, this is going to be the trending topic of the day, and within hours it will be on Weibo. So in those regards, I think that of course WeChat has taken over a role that Weibo. Was once had, but eventually it will come to Weibo and that's where it will be publicly discussed. So then it moves from those private groups of friends into the open sphere. Sure. I think also、uh, official accounts had a big impact as well, right? When WeChat launched those in 2012, 2013, that a lot of media moved over and they they became incredibly popular and sort of replaced Weibo or provided at least provided an alternative to Weibo. Um, for for publishing, yeah, but I I agree in, in, to some extent, but I don't fully agree because I think one of the strengths of Weibo is that it's multi layered, and、uh, what I mean by that is that its users are very versatile. So you're talking about government accounts. Let's not forget that hundreds, well, thousands of accounts on Weibo are run by the government, be it official,、uh, central government, local governments. Then you have the media accounts, the state media,、uh, some smaller independent media. Then you have the businesses, the NGOs. Then you have the KOLs, the key opinion leaders, the big influencers, and then you have the regular netizens. So let's say, if we simplify it, that there are six big layers,、uh, you know, of users that you can categorize. On Weibo, they're all together in this big open space. And they all communicate together. So this is, I think, I don't, I don't know of any other space in China, be it digital, off, online or offline, where these layers interact with each other, where netizens can, you know, criticize the state media, where the state media gets into a conflict with a business, where NGOs will talk to local governments, and of course,、uh, you know, official accounts on WeChat do provide information, but it's you don't see this. Communication between these layers coming up on WeChat as much as you see on Weibo, and、um, a lot of the trending topics that come up on Weibo also、uh, are triggered by these interactions. You know, so so this is a big a big difference from what's trending, for example, on Facebook or on Twitter, and and what's trending on Weibo. A lot of the trending topics on Weibo. Also started on Weibo. Do you know what I mean? So they don't come from outside. It's not big news that comes from outside. It's the news that comes from within the platform itself because、uh, this and this state media said that and that to this local、um, uh, government official. Blah blah blah. And then that is what becomes trending organically. You mean? Yes. So I think that yeah, exactly. So that's that's very interesting that Weibo itself、uh, plays such a huge role in what becomes trending on Weibo. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't come from outside. It comes from inside.、Uh, yeah. Sure. I think it's、uh, um, going going into the、uh, evolution of the platform. We we've sort of mentioned that WeChat had an impact on it, and it certainly did.、Um, yeah. It certainly changed the landscape.、Um, but I think in recent years the narrative has has changed again. Right. That. Um, the phrase that people are using is、uh, sort of a second windfall or a, or a second rise of of Weibo.、Um, how would you describe that? Is there some truth in that? Yeah, definitely. I think、uh, Weibo is more and more becoming、um, 
a government platform, a media platform, um, much more than it was before. And uh, you, you also see more and more that it is used as a government tool, much more than in, in the beginning, uh, that state media is really making up new fun ways to spread propaganda. Uh, it's not even propaganda 2.0, it's propaganda 3.0. Um, and, uh, and and this is one thing that you see, but it's not as black and white um, as sometimes portrayed in Western media that a lot of netizens actually like it and news like this is shared a lot. Uh, one of the examples I can give is the, well, the recent over the past few years, the Xi Jinping has been depicted as this cartoon figure, right, by Chinese state media. Mm -hmm. And maybe people will know it like with the big wobbly head and like an anime character, kind of cute. And this is used a lot by, by Chinese state media when he goes out on a visit, state visit to Europe. You will see Xi Jinping in his little plane waving at the people uh, on this cartoon. And but people share this a lot. I mean, this is these are also the kind of things that go viral. And I think that uh, that's something that you see on Weibo now much more that it's become uh, a government tool, a state media tool, and uh, and that you know netizens interact with that. I thought originally you were going to talk about Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but that's the other side, right? right. <laughs> yeah, the Winnie the Pooh is actually uh, the Winnie the Pooh meme is quite quite hilarious, and it's it's popped up since 2013 to, to 2015, and now again 2017. It's three different points that Winnie the Pooh became a huge controversial figure on Weibo, and time and time again he was censored. Yeah, poor Winnie. Poor he didn't do anything. All he wants is his honey, well, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so cute. But then you, also like this, you see that it's also a way for netizens sometimes to make, you know, uh, to make to make fun of of that government control and they always find new and creative ways to to make fun of the government or the state media in some way. And Winnie the Pooh is just a perfect example because he's so cute and innocent, but now he's become like this politically subversive <laughs> figure. Um, so that so that's interesting because, of course, Winnie the Pooh is like, uh, it's like Xi Jinping and then meeting with Obama or with Abe from Japan. And every time you will see a new picture of Winnie the Pooh and Eeyore, mm. Winnie the Pooh and Tigger, and so much going on in these in these images. It yeah. reminds me of um, the, um, the graph mud horse uh, phenomenon um, that that I mean I'm not sure yeah. I'm not quite I feel I think grass mud horse was a little bit before Weibo uh, but but very 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 similar where um, you know it's 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 in in Chinese because Chinese language is super interesting because it, it's um, the best way that I've heard it described is is that the China the Chinese is or Mandarin is phoneme deficient so so there's only um, there's a very limited number of sounds that you can actually make and so and then of course there's tones that can that 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 um, introduces a lot of the variation and how um, people people can can express themselves. But but because of that, because there there's a very few phonemes that there's these um, words. There's a lot of words that sound like other words, um, even though the tones are different, the characters are different. Um, you know, it, it can sound very very similar. And so in the case of of uh, the grass mud horse, you know, the the way the way it sounds is like a, a way a you know a bad word for what you should go do do with your mother. And so there was this whole kind of music video um, about the grass mud horse who lives in the Gobi de in, in the desert um, with uh, the river crabs and things like that. And so that even 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 from back then, there was this kind of poking fun at uh, at government control or, or government trying.
trying to, um, at that time, especially Hu Jintao was all about harmonious society and so kind of poking fun at at, um, at that type of policy. Yeah, I think you're, you're that's spot on because I've called uh, Winnie the Pooh uh, the new Grad Mud Horse before because actually it's it's very comparable. And you know, the Grad Mud Horse actually became this cute mm. Apelka figure in the end. You know, it was a very cuddly, cuddly little image. And although, of course, the story behind it is a big, big middle finger towards the government. So it's really funny to see that there's so much humor in this, in these memes, although they are, of course, an act of subversion, you know, in a way, uh, but the, but there's so much humor in them. So I think this is uh, this is also truly, truly uniquely Chinese in a way. Yeah, exactly. And I, cause I think that, you know, it, it's kind of funny because one of the things that I think about um, where I've been thinking about quite a bit recently um, is, you know, government influence on on information and, and how people um, talk about things in, in the public sphere. Um, and I, and, and I'm, I'm thinking back and, you know, you look at like even from the from the beginning of China, you know, Qin Shi Huang, the, the first uh, the first emperor, um, even back then there was this um, mm-hmm. this desire to control public public discourse. Um, and, and 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 he did that. And and so it's almost, you know, tradition in a sense, you know, imperial tradition, if you will, or, or um, government tradition to control information, to um, to make sure that that people aren't having seditious discussions and and. And, and things like that, and so it's also part of part of that tradition culturally is figuring out ways to talk about things publicly that doesn't sound like what what they're talking about, and so kind of like this this cat and mouse game that we're seeing between you know um, the the Communist Party and and uh, Chinese society. I think you know it goes back thousands of years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it can be really. Uh, that's one of the things that I always find very interesting to watch from the outside. I mean, another example is in 2014. You know, every other year, China launches this huge anti-pornography campaign that is uh, directed at vulgar content. But then nobody's really sure what vulgar content is because everything nowadays is called obscene and vulgar, right? Um, but at the time, um, a lot of, you know, the, the the Chinese word for pornographics is huang. And huang, you know, it, means, it also means yellow, so the, actually skin tone. And many netizens responded to that campaign in 2014 by posting pictures that were just a block of yellow color. <laughs> and then accompanied by text such as, you know, I'm posting yellow, which is, uh, I'm posting porn. What you gonna do now? <laughs> I'm posting yellow. What you wanna do? <laughs> so these are these these funny things sometimes that are yeah, very, very interesting to see. Yeah, changing your profile picture is kind of a, an interesting Mm-hmm. way of uh, subversion i guess you would say in china right that's got a long tradition recently we saw it with the kindergarten yes. the uh controversy red, there, yellow, red blue. yellow blue a lot of people changing it yeah. yeah with the black in there as well and then of yes, course exactly. um right right before the 19th congress uh, profile photo changes were not allowed Yes, yes. So who would have ever imagined that, right? That um, something simple as changing your profile photo would become sometimes a political act or an act of online activism in a way. Um, but so I think that, you know, so looking um, looking at Weibo specifically, um, so I'm curious, so as as you've been following it, so it's it's kind of, you know, it's as Matt mentioned, it's kind of gone through this, this, this second wave. And so I'm curious, like, as they've introduced more video, um, so both in terms of of live streaming, but then also, as you were saying before, Miao Pai and things like that. 
I mean, how how has Weibo changed? Do you think? I mean, as a user, but then but then as as an observer as well. Um. Yeah. Good question. Like I I I said, I think that state media has be, has uh, is starting to play a much much bigger role, and one of the reasons is also because they really really up their game. Like a lot of different state media outlets, and there are so many right now. I mean, they're now using videos like these cool two, uh, one to two minute videos that just capture the news real quick with cool graphics. And um, I think as a China watcher, I always try to look, okay, what's this source? Where does it come from? Who's sponsoring it? Uh, you know, what's behind it? But you don't even, you, you don't know what is state media, what is not, what is propaganda, what is not. Um, it's all become... It, it's not black and white at all anymore. It's very, very dynamic and so many different players. And I think that's what's most interesting. It, it used to be much more easy for China watchers before, like, okay, look at what Global Times is posting now and how people respond to it. And it's not that simple anymore. I mean, we're over. I think, well, you still have the silly rap videos coming up every now and then that state media, you know, completely misses the point by bringing out this this rap video, like, see how hip and trendy we are. And, and then they're like 20 years behind. Um, but slowly but surely, they're not anymore because they're hiring real cool graphic um, artists or music producers, video producers who are really uh, doing a good job. So we're not making fun of it anymore, actually. Netizens actually appreciate. And I think you saw this a lot with the Belt and Road Initiative last year. You saw this a lot with the 19th National Congress. So various big moments that you can see that um, state media is to a great, great extent influencing what's going on on Weibo and the debates there, but that it, it is not necessarily a negative thing. Yeah, no, it's it's funny. It's funny you say that because a friend of mine from uh, from CRI, he's currently working at uh, the People's Daily. He's uh, he's British, but at CRI's last few years, what he was doing was producing comedy videos um, for mostly for for a Chinese for a Chinese audience for CRI's website, and they were um, they were originally just kind of like like uh, like uh, like you know kind of like those those uh, quiz shows that you have in the UK um, were just kind of silly topics and people people being silly. Uh, but then they 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 ended up uh, evolving it into a kind of like a travel show and, and and all sorts of things. And pretty much the entire time he's speaking Chinese and it's it's for a Chinese audience. And so it's interesting because you know he the People's Daily they they hired him to do exactly that to keep doing that kind of stuff. And he's a young British guy just making making silly videos to to make himself and 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 his uh, his producer laugh. Um, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So that's that's super interesting to see. I mean, and, and I hadn't really connected the dots either um, because I think that kind of as you were saying, I mean, I don't really pay attention to to Weibo anymore. I think in part because it's it's become more difficult to really figure out what's going on there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you see that, yeah, like I said, the, the lines are being blurred. Maybe that's the, the right way to put it. And especially on Weibo, where I said you have so many actors, you have the government, the media, the businesses, and but they're all it's it's not all of these different layers who are miles apart. No, everybody's cooperating in some ways. And I think like Ofo as uh, as well, you know, the bike um, sharing company, you know, they have this marketing side as well uh, of all these young, cool people with fresh ideas, and they working together with the government as well to produce new ways of propaganda. Um, I, I, it's I, I don't want to even call it yeah, it is propaganda, but what is propaganda? What is not? You know. Um, so I think actually this is a very, very interesting time again, but I mean everything over the past 
two, three decades in China, of course, has been quite interesting. But 2018, I think, is marking a new age for digital media again. And I think the blurred lines are one of the, the big themes. Yeah, there recently there's been commentary um, about Chinese media projecting uh, abroad a sort of a narrative and a, and a, uh, a dialogue more for, on behalf of the of the uh, of the government, the Chinese Communist Party, and how people are waking up to the fact they're actually quite savvy and and they're spending a lot of money and, and doing it in different ways and have built up. Um, you know, even recently there was that really long piece about uh, fake Twitter followers and one of the people called out on it was a was a Chinese government ag- um, news agency. Um, you know, they're using a variety of different techniques in order to project um, their soft power, I guess you would say, on social media outside China as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think in Africa, you see this, uh, you see this as well, where it's not so much social media, but a popular culture in general, Chinese television dramas that are becoming more popular there as well. So, um, yeah, you see also in terms of popular culture, movies, TV dramas, music, uh, Chinese uh, society is changing a lot, China, Chinese culture. It's not that old fashioned anymore. It's Things are really changing. One of the things we want to also to touch upon is uh, Toutiao, uh, the daily headline app that yeah. seems to be in some ways a competitor to Weibo. Um, and uh, I mean, they're both news feed based um, and Toutiao has a lot of breaking news and uh, a lot of the things that we've discussed um, in this podcast so far would also apply to that platform. So how do you see Toutiao's rise and you know what does that what does that mean for Weibo? Well, I'm not really sure about the background of when Toutiao first came around. But what I do know is that Toutiao is now facing the same challenges as Weibo as, you know, when it comes to government censorship and adhering to government guidelines. And this is uh, what you see again and again. It doesn't matter if it's WeChat, if it's Weibo or if it's Toutiao. For me also personally, I mean, my website is called What's on Weibo. Uh, but even if Weibo disappeared, I will find a new um, platform to go on with. But all of these platforms eventually go through a similar route. The rise, uh, the you know, the, the the huge boom with registered users and daily active users, and then boom, they're facing the government guidelines and they will be controlled again. So there's always this seesaw motion, uh, letting go and uh, pulling back. And uh, so it, it, in that regards, I don't see Totiao as a big a competitor of Weibo because in the end, all of these platforms face a similar fate. My my general point about it was, uh, yeah, there's 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 a a rise and fall of these platforms, but uh, is it, do you source? For example, do you do you source uh, interest? Do you see interesting news stories rise first in Toutiao now rather than Weibo? Is it a, a competitor in terms of breaking breaking news? I'm actually, I must admit, I'm not sure. I try to follow as much as I can, but most of what I do right now comes from comes through from WeChat and Weibo, and not from Toutiao yet. Um, I mean, also, if you look at, you know, I'm I'm running the website by myself still. I mean, like I said, I have some contributors, but I'm doing everything by myself when it comes to um, the technical part, the research, the writing, the mm-hmm. posting, the social media. 
So my days have become so chaotic. In the morning I wake up, I receive some messages from the people who help me saying, you should write about this, this, this. Then I go on Weibo. I look at what's reaching the top charts. I go on WeChat, see what my friends are talking about. And then I just have to write. So there's also, I should probably follow Totiao more, but there's a limit to everything that I can follow on, on one day. Sure, sure. Makes sense. It's actually pretty impressive uh, that you put out all those you put out quite a lot of content, so I, I didn't know it was all of. <laughs> um, I, I thought you had a bigger team than that, man. Yeah, that's that's uh, you're doing a good job. Yeah, I think the, the 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 website is pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Um, so, so yeah. And so I, I think that, um, something that, that we've, we've talked about a little bit, uh, in a few episodes is about, um, as you mentioned before, KOLs, um, so, so, so key, key opinion leaders, um, and arguably one of the successes of Weibo in part because it is a, a public platform is, is, is because of the, uh, celebrities, the big names that, uh, that joined it, that were having public discussions and now more and more, you know, kind of these, these self-made, um, influencers. So I'm wondering, you know, can you just talk, walk us through that a little bit and, and how that's changed? Yeah, I think in the in the early years, well, if you if we really look at the early years, even before um, before Weibo or before WeChat, in the late nineties and in the early two thousands, well, let's say two thousand three, two thousand four, there was the moment you know when you had got the real first online celebrities in China. I don't know if you remember Sister Lotus, Fu uh, Rongjie. Um, yeah, right, the one that went to ended up going to New York or something like that, right? She did. I don't know. I know a lot of people wrote books about her, but she was, I think, yeah, she was the first. Yeah. Let's call her the first online celebrity in China, because I'm, I'm pretty sure that she is. She went on message boards in uh, Tsinghua University, I think, Beida University message boards. And she was also the queen of selfies. I mean, in 2004, we were not really taking selfies yet, yet uh, Sister Lotus was already. So, and uh, I think she became, um, she became quite famous because she was so infatuated with herself mm. and she was looking for the boyfriend and she found herself very pretty while in fact, mm. she was not that pretty at all. Um, and she just became famous about being famous. And then you had Mood Zemei in 2003, who was writing this online diary of her sexual encounters with men. Um, and then if we leap a, a few years further down, you had Han Han, who was really the first celebrity blogger. Let's call Han Han the first KOL because he was a big influencer. And he was also critical of uh, Chinese traditional media and the government. But now, so Han Han, that was around 2008. And then I think around 2015, 2016, we saw another real rise of KOL when we look at, for example, Papi Zhang, who is this a comic, the you know female comic who was really um, posting short videos that were very very funny, making fun of Chinese society, making fun of people and love and very very different things. And now I think that we're seeing that the KOL economy has gotten so so big. There's so many people right now and. Especially this week, this is a very, very big topic because it seems that a lot of these KOLs are paying their way into the trending topic lists, which is actually influencing the algorithms of Weibo. And it's becoming a problem in a way because these algorithms are... Um, not representing reality mm. anymore. So you see that right now. Uh, I don't know if you you probably know this news, but this week uh, Weibo has shut down its top trending lists and its hot searches list because they've been called, called back by the mm. cyberspace administration uh, because these KOLs and celebrities are buying their ways into um, the t top trending lists. And in a way, of course, it's a new way of censorship because it's a hyping of celebrity issues 
and the government doesn't want that because again it's vulgar and it's obscene of course but, but buying but buying your way into the trending list or um, you know I think that one of the one of the key features of, of Weibo in especially compared to to Twitter is the onboarding process they're, they're much better about um, kind of getting people into the ecosystem they give you they give you a lot of um, recommendations on on who to follow and and uh, and things like that so but at, but at the same time I mean like that's it's been kind of an open secret right that that it's not exactly you know a hundred percent algorithmically based mm-hmm. and I think that's the same problem that you see with the with Twitter and Facebook I mean you can buy your fans but on Weibo now, you do have millions of fake followers. But of course, what, what, the, what the major contradiction in this story is, is that the cyberspace administration, let's say the government authorities are punishing Weibo for these algorithms, while they are the ones who are also using that same algorithms to get their uh, message across often. So it's, it's, it's quite difficult to, to say something about this because it's a little bit of a catch-22 in a way. Yeah, I think it's these uh, fake algorithms, uh, fake bot accounts rather is a problem on all social media platforms to some degree or another um but it's it really uh i got my suspicions that it's a massive problem on weibo um i thought i thought on weibo in order to register an account it had to be linked to to an id i mean like this was this was a big 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 deal back in like 2013 2014 um where you know the government was putting a lot of pressure um in, you know across the board but in particular on weibo to do you know real name reg, id registration so is yes. that is that not the case anymore or is it just that people have figured out a workaround well um i don't think you well i know never uploaded as a foreigner at least well i'm i'm connected with my chinese phone number but then your chinese phone number yeah. will be attached to your id now but um so th- so that's a difference but of course you still have a lot of phone numbers who don't have that uh, you have you had those times when everybody was buying you know phone cards at every corner of the street so i'm sure that there's millions and millions of phone cards just uh, floating around that you can still register with the name on weibo um, it's just that in a few years' time, it will get more and more difficult because now every phone number will be attached mm. to your ID and your name, uh, which is also why now, because I'm traveling in between Amsterdam and Beijing, but I'm not losing my phone number anymore. Now I bought a, a good phone number uh, because now my Weibo is attached to it, my WeChat is attached to it. And you see that even as a foreigner who comes to Beijing a lot and as foreigners living in Beijing, you cannot escape this anymore. I mean, uh, you see this whole ecosystem where from the food you order to the bank that you're registered at to your social media, it all connects to your ID and your phone number. So you're not, I mean, of course, there's ultimate control in the end because I mean, they will, the, the government or the authorities will know who you're dating with your online dating app, you know, what you ordered on Ulama, how much money is on your bank, how, what, who you talk to on your WeChat. I mean, it's all one big uh, yep. controlled ecosystem. Yeah, I think there's um, a key difference between the Chinese internet landscape and um, and abroad. And, and there's been a lot of discussion, uh, you know, about about this kind of stuff on uh, recently in the States and how to control, um, especially like advertisement on, on Facebook, for example. But in China, everything is you know, linked to real name verification. So they have this different and more stricter system, um, which I think uh, abroad a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't like it. But uh, here, it does mean that things are more traceable and uh, actions uh, from people online. Um, you know, if 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 Russians came in and tried to influence uh, Chinese society in the same way as they've been accused of doing in the states, 
uh, I think it would be easier to track that for sure, given the controls in place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, going back to the original point about the fake followers on on Weibo, I think it's uh, it's just uh, the incentives of the platform yeah. are aligned with it. You know, it's uh, and the same thing for Twitter as well. The they they actually there's a sort of an incentive for them to not really take it very seriously because these robot accounts actually help them in some respects. They make the platform seem more lively and important than it would be otherwise. Yeah, yeah, true. And that's the same with with KOL. Now, of course, you have a, a large amount of real influencers, but there's all, also people who come up from these platforms like Show, the live streaming platform uh, apps. And then it's not it's not really sure how big of an influencer they actually are, but in the end they are. And that's actually the, the contradiction of it all because they bought their way to the top somehow. And then they will still attract attention, but nobody actually knows why, because they're not that interesting <laughs> in the end. Yeah, right. And, and we spoke with a couple of people previously yeah. on the podcast about this area. And it's like best practice for key opinion editors on Weibo is actually to buy fake engagement. It's known that, uh, you know, if you want to, maximize your reach that's what you should do um it's sort of an open industry secret Mm -hmm. yeah but let's not forget that you know amid all these fakeness there are very very real and interesting stories popping up and becoming huge trending topics and one thing that i would like to mention is i don't know if you remember the story of fan yusu last year Uh, it's not even a year ago I i think it was in april or may of 2017 this woman from um, just a little migrant village just outside of Beijing who'd written this story about her life. And the title was, um, I think it was just Woshe Fan Yusu, my name of I am Fan Yusu. And she wrote about her journey from, you know, being born into a, a poor village um, you know, in rural China and moving to Beijing when she was older, being in an abusive relationship with a husband who was alcoholic, raising her children by herself, and so many different issues of society coming together in this essay. And it struck a chord with so many people. And it became, well, it became one of the biggest trending topics of 2017. And she had to eventually move and she had to go into hiding because she'd never wanted that fame. And uh, so this is, a, I think, a, a good example of uh, a very, very real person and a real topic reaching the, the top trending stories right. of Weibo. Yep. Definitely, it's going to have a, there's, a <laughs> there's a lot of real stuff going on as well on the platform, for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. So I guess, you know, you talked a little bit about before, but as, as a way to, to, to wrap things up, I mean, what are your what are your predictions for 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 2018? Um, I mean, what do you I mean? So obviously, you know, for for the platform, it, it started off a little negative with uh, a lot more government scrutiny and, and control. But I mean, how do you how do you think it's going to uh, progress from here, both in terms of, of, of government relations, but then also as a as a consumer facing platform? I think what you see that what we've seen from 2009, 2013, 15 to 2018, I expect that a similar pattern will follow the whole time, you know. We'll probably, right now, you see that there's a lot of control. Later in the year, probably things will go a little bit free again. There will be very, very big stories coming up that people will openly discuss, and then boom, the control is back on. And I foresee that this seesaw motion will continue and um, and I, I I do think that Weibo will remain for the coming period to come the go-to place where people will gather 
to see the news, share the news, and comment on the news. Because let's not forget that Chinese netizens are amongst the most active netizens in the world when it comes to expressing their views, sharing, initiating uh, stories, uh, more so than uh, in America or Europe or other countries. So it's thanks to the netizens that Weibo uh, will stay alive. All right. Well, well, Manya, I mean, again, thank you thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk about Weibo. I mean, I think that, again, for us, it's been it's been super interesting um, because we haven't really had a chance to talk too much about this. But then also, I, I think that that our show tends to be very business, very very tech heavy, and so it was yeah. good to get a get a dose of um, a, a dose of culture in there. Um, so so Manya, actually, before before we go, uh, where can our listeners find you? Uh, what's on Weibo.com. And you can follow me on the website. We have a newsletter, Twitter, Facebook. We're actually everywhere except Weibo, which is kind of the big contradiction. But we were advised not to have a big presence on Weibo itself. So uh, what's on Weibo, Facebook, Twitter, newsletter, and what's on Weibo.com. Perfect, perfect. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on iTunes. If you're on Overcast or on Pocket Cast, you can just uh, tap on that star button and it will recommend this episode to your network. Alternatively, you can get in touch with uh, either Matt or I um, in, in the um in the episode description, there are links to our LinkedIn profiles as well as our Twitter profiles, so you can get in touch with us there. Mm-hmm.